You're listening to Rethinking Hunger, a podcast coordinating the food security fight through critical conversations. Our goal is to highlight the incredible people fighting to change our food system here in New Mexico and in the greater United States. I want you to get the full spectrum of folks that are in this fight. That means people coming to the table with different approaches and varying stakes. Among others, you'll be hearing from food nonprofit leaders, consumers, growers, providers, and policymakers. I'm your host, Sophia Rose. In this episode, I'm here with Zoe Bantea Yusulu and Kelly Noble. Zoe and Kelly are community members of the Zuni Pueblo in western New Mexico. When Zoe and Kelly saw the extent of need in their community brought on by coronavirus last March, they began organizing an emergency mobile food pantry. While it was totally off the cuff, their operation grew exponentially, and they're now in the process of establishing a permanent food pantry in Zuni. To support their ongoing efforts, you can make a checkout to the Pueblo of Zuni, and in the memo, write Emergency Mobile Pantry. I dropped the address for this into the show notes of this episode. Without further ado, let's hear from Zoe and Kelly. Kelly and Zoe, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you for the invitation. It's really good to be here and talk about what we've uh, been able to do and how it's grown. Yes, yes. Well, I would thank love- you so much for the invite. Yes, thank you for coming. So I would love if we could start with you introducing yourselves. Zoe, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, my name is Zoe Fanti Ayusulu. Zoe Lechina. Um, I am from Zuni. New Mexico and born and raised here, been living here most of my life, except for college. Um, I am part of the frog clan and a child of a sun clan. Thank you. And uh, my name is Kelly Noble. I am from Zuni here in New Mexico. I uh, grew up here till about the age of five and then I went to school in Utah, and then I came back. And so I I love the fact that we can leave here and go get an education and then come back home. And um, I too am a member of the Frog Clan. So I'm half Zuni and half Cherokee. And so, but, you know, was raised here. My mom's from Zuni and that's basically who I am. In so few words, how did you two first meet? What's the story there? Well, I think, I mean, really, it was on Facebook. We knew each other. I know Zoe knew my brother, um, my younger brother. And um, she's, you know, a really popular teacher here. And so when we we just became friends on Facebook, and um, I don't think we'd ever met face-to-face or had any conversation prior to that. Does that seem about right to you, Zoe? Yes, definitely. Um, Definitely met through Facebook and um, 
I think once we met like face to face, we used to conversate over Facebook. Um, and I met her briefly at one of the high school graduations where she was oh, one of yeah. the speakers. And so I went up and I introduced myself. I said, hey, <laughs> I'm the person that talks to you on Facebook. <laughs> and so that's how we met. Um, and then, yeah, we, we never really like spent much time together, let alone we didn't even know we were from the same clan until we were on another podcast and we were introducing ourselves and we're like, hey, that's my clan. <laughs> I think we, we didn't even know that about each other. No, we didn't. We didn't know that at all about each other. So, yeah. And then one night um, there was uh, one of those things that, you know, kind of goes viral on Facebook uh, when COVID first hit. Um, I had just shared, I, I saw it on someone else's page. So I just shared and it said something to the effect that, hey, you know, don't let your pride get in the way call me in the middle of the night or in the day. It doesn't matter if you're hungry, if you need food, if you need anything, you know, reach out. And, and then Zoe had commented on that and uh, said something like, it, does the tribe have a food pantry? And I said, no. And, you know, I know we have like a commodity food program, but we don't have a pantry. And so um, so I just said, but you know what, calm, like message me because I have an idea. <laughs> and so, so I'm, I don't remember if it was a call or on messenger Zoe, do you, but we talked about the idea. Yeah, I think, I think you just mentioned that you had a, a trailer and you needed shelves and I volunteered my husband. Yeah, yes. I can get someone to build shelves for you. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea. So, yeah, was, that's kind of how we started. Yeah. So she, she says, oh, you know, does the tribe have it? I said, no. And and um, I said, but uh, but I have an idea. I have this cargo trailer. We could put shelves in it and we could ask for donations or go get food. And then we'll just drive around our community and, you know, give the food out to the elders and uh, yeah, that's when uh, um, her husband got volunteered to put shelves in the trailer. So we actually did that and we got um, volunteer, actually some donations. Zoe has a really wide network and really solid network. And she put the word out uh, about us needing some food or donations and such. And they just kind of came pouring in. Um, and then uh, we remember getting 25 baskets, like laundry baskets. And we got some volunteers together and we filled 25 baskets. And I don't even remember how we got the names, but we went and delivered them. And at the end of that, <laughs> we sat at Zoe's kitchen table looking at each other like, wow, we just did something. Well, little did we know for example, like tomorrow, we're having a public distribution with 260 boxes you know, that we distribute. So, right. so it's grown. Right. So what you created grew so quickly. Zoe, you were the one who started the Facebook fundraiser, right? In the beginning for um, what you were calling 
and I think you still call the emergency mobile food pantry. And it seemed to take off from there. So can you think back a little bit more to what it was like in the beginning and how it evolved? Yes. Um, so sure, I, I, you know, once Kelly had this idea of her trailer and, and then we were like, well, we're gonna need to buy food. <laughs> so um, I decided, you know, maybe we should just put a, you know, a fundraiser page up and maybe we can, my goal was 3000, like maybe we can get some food and, and, and help that way. And I think Kelly wanted to start at like five or 10,000. And I was like, that is too much money to ask for, you know, I, I kind of felt uncomfortable with that. And then I had another friend reach out and he's like, just make it 50,000. I was like, you're insane. Like I can't make it 50,000 as my goal. Um, so we ended up like, I put out um, the call out for, I think our goal was 3000 at first. And we like, in a couple hours, like hit that goal. And I was just, I, I mean, I was just surprised and shocked. And so we upped it to like 5,000. So each time we hit a goal, we would make an increment of 5,000 more. And so it ended up being that we did raise over 50,000. And it, it was just an amazing process, I guess, to watch um, and talk to people that I didn't even know and thanking them. And, you know, they would share stories with me of like, you know, the reason why they were donating, they either knew somebody in Zuni or they used to work here, um, either with the Indian Health Service or government jobs, um, or they, you know, had a connection with an artisan who they buy primarily from. And so all of these different like stories were coming out and people were just kind of sharing that with me um, as they were donating. Um, and so, it was just nice to be able to kind of reciprocate and share the pictures of all the amazing things our volunteers were doing. And so it just kind of um, grew from that. And so I, I, I honestly was just pretty amazed that we were able to raise that much money and then in return be able to help so many people in our community. Yeah, and I do have to credit Zoe with the just the maintenance of that Facebook page. Um, she's got that, you know, talent of, hey, don't forget to take pictures and everyone's already gone. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> you know, so, so she would come and she would take pictures, which I am so grateful for because it really documents in photo kind of from the beginning, you can see our 25 baskets laid out. And that was so awesome. I mean, from that moment, I, the day that she posted that, I think actually the night that we delivered our 25 baskets, both of us every day would bawl about something. I mean, tears would just well up in our eyes. And, and especially when people would like just stop us and give us money or then, or when we got more money coming in on Facebook, you know, we would start bawling again. <laughs> we were just so overwhelmed with emotion because we're just two moms, you know, that said, Hey, 
here's an idea. And she said, Hey, I'm going to put this out to my network. And it just exploded from there. And so um, as things progressed with COVID, um, I work for the tribe. And so we all, um, the, our, essentially our, our uh, tribe shut down and only the essential workers were um, allowed to come to work. And so uh, when the emergency was declared by our tribal governor, they, we went into incident command mode. And um, since we were already doing food, they asked if I would serve as the uh, receiving and distribution section leader. And um, then we were given permission to use the Zuni Wellness Center, which has a really great gym and a lot of space for that. And so we've, we've simultaneously run the receiving and distribution uh, center for the tribe, yet we're still continuing the emergency mobile pantry. So we get donations for the EMP, and then the tribe gets donations through, you know, USDA, uh, FEMA, the, you know, the governmental um, section and some GN, you know, non-governmental organizations as well. And uh, we're just still plugging along. Um, there have been several people who send monthly checks into the tribe for that. Um, they are a nonprofit as well. And so we work through them to receive donations. And Zoe, you have that information. What was the information that um, they can send? If, if anyone, if any of your listeners would like to contribute as well, there's an opportunity. Yeah, and I will, I will send that information so that she can um, add it to the end of the podcast. I think that's what we had talked about. Yeah, I can actually just okay. put it in the information, like the show notes for the podcast, and folks can access it that way. Um, but okay. yeah, that'll be a great way to do it. And yeah, I wanted to ask you, so you had these different funds coming in from multiple sources, right? And everything was speeding up with COVID and the demand also that you were seeing in your community. How did you keep up with that? And um, yeah, what was that, that like navigating? <laughs> well, it consisted of a lot <laughs> of late nights and um, we were getting names. Uh, there's a COVID hotline um, that people can call and request food and, and other things from from the tribal side. But um, Zoe, I'll let you explain about the text number that you got. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, um, because people were, as soon as word got out that we were the ones um, sort of, uh, you know, taking the leap and, and, and organizing all of this, um, we were getting crazy messages like, at all hours of the night through Facebook, Facebook Messenger, like just everywhere, like messages were just coming in different social um, social media platforms that we are part of. And so, um, and I decided to create like a separate text number that people can call or primarily text and just send the requests um, for families needing food. Um, 
so that number became available. We we would share it on on our social medias, and um, so I, that's kind of how the calls were coming in or the text messages were coming in. And I primarily was the one because it was an app that I have on my phone. I ended up being the one <laughs> having to navigate and manage that. And it, it's kind of insane. I, I, I think when COVID was really, um, um, when the numbers for COVID went up, especially in the summer, I, I was getting, over a hundred messages sometimes and it was just really overwhelming um and then trying to navigate all that and um we created spreadsheets and we were plugging in people's names and addresses and then we we even got um uh maps i i believe we're, we're getting maps and trying to figure out you know certain areas that people live in and trying to put all of those deliveries in one area so that when our volunteers will come and load up um, boxes of food, they just go in one area. And so we we definitely started navigating and being a little bit more efficient in that sense. Uh, but that's basically how we've been trying to keep track. Yeah. And, and she's really good at it. And there were times, though, we'd all be kind of like, come on, Zoe. And she's trying to, you know, map this whole thing out for us. Uh, but she's done a fantastic job with that. And at one point we had the Zuni hotshots who are, um, they are wildland firefighters. Um, early on, they came and they just, came. <laughs> they organized us. They, we learned a really cool thing that the human chain, you know, where you pass boxes from one person to another. And we, we became super efficient. Um, when the fire season started again, they, they left and, but we were armed with all of this new knowledge and we have a, a core group of volunteers that are freaking amazing. It first started. Uh, so Zoe, just put the word out with her teachers and said, Hey, you know, come and help. And they did. And then I put the word out in, in different areas. And now we have this core group of people that um, learned what we learned with the hot shots and we're, we're pretty darn efficient now. And um, even down to our uh, public distributions. So, you know, I usually stand at the gate that the, cars drive in and ask them to pop their trunks and I'll put the trunks up and they'll drive through and we've got volunteers that put boxes in their cars and shut the trunk and let you know um, just like tap the back of the car to tell them to go ahead and move so if you think about it we're able to push through about 200 I'd say around 200 vehicles within about an hour and sometimes less because um, that was one of the things that we figured out. I'm a systems kind of person and I always look for efficiency in different situations. And, you know, I would always tell them, come on, we're, we need efficiency. We'll just put the box in and we'll have someone standing on the side. So once that's in, then they shut the trunk and, you know, <laughs> little things like that, that made it go faster. So, um, so many things. And I know right now we're just talking about like sort of the logistics of how we did it, but you know, um, somewhere along the line, one of the 
volunteers, we just became really, really close. And these are people from different walks of life that in normal circumstances would never have come together and been friends. And one of them dub, dubbed the group, the food warriors. And we loved that. We, we were like, yes, and it stuck, you know? So, <laughs> so when we put the word out that there's a distribution, you know, we'll put calling all food warriors. Um, but one of the things in the very beginning that Zoe and I realized was doing heart H-E-A-R-T work is really hard work, <laughs> you know, and there were times where we were exhausted, bruised, bleeding, <laughs> you know, sore, <laughs> but we realized, oh my gosh, if, if they're, if we're not doing it, who's going to do it, you know, and um, it really became more of a mission than just an idea, and so I really feel like um, we are, you know, I always tell people whenever I get an opportunity to speak, especially to our youth, I always say, you know what, every one of us was born for a reason. We have a purpose. And, you know, I take them through a process of identifying what's your purpose? What's your mission? What do you feel pulled to do? And um, never in my life would I have thought feeding people and bringing food to people would have been one of those things um, until we commented on my Facebook post. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you not only do these um, few dis food distributions, but you also, as I understand it, have this whole other system of delivering the food, correct? So um, why is it important to deliver to the doors of the members of your community? I think we definitely um, wanted to focus at the beginning um, when we put the word out to, to raise money um, and to make deliveries to homes. It was primarily we wanted to um, deliver to our elderly community. Um, and we, we find out that a lot of people also just don't have transportation, mm -hmm. um, to come pick up, um, food. So even with public distributions, um, you know, those that are able to drive through and come get food, um, some people carpool, um, and some people ask for requests for delivery. Um, and so we like to honor those deliveries, um, because they, they don't have the transportation. Would you like to add more, Kelly? Yeah, I, I think um, that's definitely a huge thing is people, uh, you know, the lack of transportation is a huge thing. Um, but once when COVID really hit, we were getting those numbers in the hundreds and those requests were coming in. Clearly they could not leave their homes and they were uh, quarantined. And so, we would uh, we would definitely have to take food to them. And what we would do is obviously we would have um, personal protective gear on, and then we would go to the homes and take the food, uh, the boxes of food and put it on the porch and knock. Well, we have a res dog thing going on here. <laughs> and so, 
sometimes we would have to just wait and call them and make sure, hey, we're here and your food is there. We don't want the dogs to get up. So, you know, come out. And it was, it was just one of those things. But I think that the other part of it too is um, delivering the food just made a more, made it very personal, you know, not just like, well, come get your box, you know, drive through, but here, you know, let us bring you some food that you really, really need. And, um, or that you're requesting, you know, I I don't know how to explain it without sounding. It was just, it was more of a spiritual thing. I know that sounds really weird by just delivering, you know, just delivering food. But um, I always tell this story, but um, when the hotshots were helping us, they went out in the different areas and were delivering. And when they came back, one of them says, you know, it's more than delivering boxes because um, I guess they drove up to this one house and all these kids came running out. And um, one of the kids was like, is this for us? You know, and they were really excited. And um, the guys were like, yeah, it's for you. Is your mom home? You know, as an adult here. So the mom comes out and one of the kids says to the mom, mom, they're bringing us food. You don't have to cry anymore. <laughs> and I was like, wow, wow. And I think at that point, and that was early on in that point, it made me stop and kind of come out of the logistics part of my my head and and go wow this is I mean we're actually kind of making a difference here for people and um, we never took that lightly but you just get caught up in the daily you know getting overwhelmed with the texts and then trying to organize the list and then trying to organize the volunteers and you know try to really gauge how many boxes and such that we'll need we haven't even talked about the shopping for this all you know but doing all of that (laughs) and and then and then thinking oh yeah this is why we're doing it you know and so it's it's been such a growing experiment for all of us we've we have two volunteers that um have been super super consistent and one of the volunteers she said you know I never knew that in almost a year just me helping out would lead to a job because we we pushed to make this a permanent tribal program and that in itself to watch her grow to see where she was last year and to see her today is amazing and um I think, you know, it's not just about the food. It's about helping people to, people to grow. And we think about food and how food is kind of scarce in some areas. And, you know, some people ha- are well-fed, and but others worry, you know, where am I going to get my next food or, how, you know, my next dinner or meal or whatever. And... Um, so there's a lot of programs out there to try to help, um, you know, teach people to grow their own food and such. Um, but I feel like we're not only planting the seeds of food, 
but we're planting the seeds of being better people in our volunteers. And I can't thank them enough because there's no way me and Zoe would do this by ourselves. I mean, it's just too big of an operation um, because our community isn't super tiny. We're about, I want to say 12,000 population. We're the you know, size of a small town. Um, and there's definitely a need. You mentioned um, how it's grown to the extent of actually becoming a permanent food pantry in Zuni. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? So with some of the CARES Act funding that came through, the Tribal Council wanted to ensure that, you know, uh, whatever the projects were funded, that it would benefit the whole community. And we just quickly realized that this wasn't just about the elders. Because in the beginning, uh, when we first sat down and started really talking about it, we were really excited. And uh, I said, I really want to focus on, you know, um, the elders and the veterans. And Zoe said, yes, I want to focus on the elders and the backpack kids. And I'm like, what are the backpack kids? And Zoe, if you want to tell about the backpack kids, then I can go into how it became a permanent thing. Okay. So that we can cry again? <laughs> no. <laughs> trying not to. <laughs> um, so when COVID, since I teach um, at the elementary school here and COVID hit, you know, schools were closed. We had to go virtual. Um, you know, school is a safe place for all students. And that's also where they get their breakfast and their lunch. And so, um, for some kiddos to be at home, you know, they're provided for, but some kid, kids are not. And our school had been working with the Gallup Community Pantry, and they had something in place where they would bring food um, every week, I believe, or once a month. Um, it was like dry goods, but like snacks and cereals and breakfast type um, food. And they would um, give it to the school and the school will distribute it to students who, who needed it um, before they went home for the weekend. So for the whole, since the beginning of the school year of last year, um, you know, we were trying to figure out a name and lack of better name. They just started calling it the backpack kids. Um, so that on the intercom, they will say with the backpack kids, please come to the front office on your way out. Um, after school. And so that was like the hint for those kids to come and fill up their backpacks, um, literally of food, of all the snacks and things that they're going to need for the weekend. Um, because maybe they were not getting um, regular meals at home. Um, and so I was really worried about those students um, and, and other students um, because COVID also hit people who were working and then all of a sudden weren't able to work or able to um, create their art to sell because as Kelly mentioned, our tribe had become 
a closed community. So there was checkpoints at both ends of the reservation and tourists weren't allowed to come through anymore. So artisans were really hit hard as well. And so a lot of families, you know, just were, were affected. And um, so those students I was concerned about. And so I wanted them to be able to receive the food continuously because, because um, the Gallup Pantry was still bringing food um, and we were just ensuring that it went to those homes as well, along with everybody else in need. Yeah, and so when she told me about them, I couldn't, I, I don't know, that just hit my my heart, hit me right in the feels, you know, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's that need already in our community. I mean, I know I sound super naive about it, but, um, and as Zoe said, the artisans were hit hard. And then people that worked in Gallup started getting laid off. Um, small businesses were closing couldn't sustain, you know, the employees and a lot of Zunis commute to Gallup to work. And so now you've got a, got a whole nother sector of people who are no longer employed. And now schools are closed. People are home. There's no more elderly programs. So everyone's at home and whoever is working either for the school or for the hospital here or the tribe and who were essential employees were still getting paid but now their food bill was going up and the other bills were piling up so we realized that this is going to take a long time to recover from and that um, a lot of the people that normally would qualify um, with their income for like the commodity food program or other programs weren't going to qualify because they would be over that limit and yet they were still struggling and so we get a lot of requests from people who are still um, employed because people in their families are no longer working and so we realized very quickly that we needed another um, program that wasn't solely based on income but need right and so we put a proposal together and a budget um, we were kind of just operating on borrowed equipment um, floor jacks to move the pallets around from I believe it was the commodity food program and then um, we were asking people to deliver and that was from the Gallup community pantry and then um, just all the equipment that we needed, the shelves or the, the tables that we, whenever we get a, a donation of food in, we would, we disinfect every piece that is donated. And so, you know, you have to have somewhere to put that. And so we put all of that into a big old budget and, and thought if we had the standalone pantry, you know, we could really benefit our community beyond, um, the emergency, um, because it's gonna, the effects are gonna last, you know, at least a couple more years because small businesses that employed people here are now shut down and those people are not working. They're gonna have to start looking once the economy gets going again. Um, and so what we, we did was we put the proposal together and the budget, and then we submitted that to the tribal council with a resolution um, 
asking, you know, to make it permanent. And of course we had to justify why, but um, our leaders knew what was going on. They're, they're very aware of what we're doing and um, they approved it. And I think that's been one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest milestones in this administration. They're looking out for our people, you know, um, they invest in, invested in something that will continue to feed their people beyond um, the emergency. And um, so at this point, we also established a partnership with the Gallup Food Pantry and or Community Pantry. And um, they're just amazing people to work with. And so we are getting boxes from them as well. Um, and so, you know, if you ask what the future looks like for this, uh, we were able to establish the program. We were able to hire a warehouse lead. We we're able to now go and look for other grants because this is only funded for six months um, with the COVID funds. And so I'd like to see it self-sustaining. Um, so now our next, I think our next uh, phase of this is really just going to look for grants and other ways to keep it sustained. I mean, what you've created already is really, it's huge. I mean, everything you've done and um, yeah. What do you think makes you such a good team working together? I, I, I really, I just really believe that um, Kelly and I without without knowing we've created an environment where we just thrived. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe she can explain it a little bit better, but I really feel like our core value in Zuni uh, of um, we will help one another on Iyansatunawa has really come into play, um, especially when we first started um, the fundraising our community members um, living here and who live in the city were holding food drives and donating money and masks and food and bringing it by. And I think our volunteers saw all that. They saw that so many people were coming together to help no matter what. And so we kind of created that environment of we need you and our community needs you. But And then they found it in their heart to to just show up um, every day, every week, anytime we will put out the call for food warriors, um, they come and they help. And I think because it also makes them feel good that they're doing something um, positive and contributing. Um, and I just feel like we, like Kelly had mentioned earlier, like we, we've, we would have never all been friends per se under normal circumstances. And we've managed to find a commonality uh, amongst all of us um, to do hard work together. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel they've invested in themselves. 
they've invested in the cause, um, they've invested in their community, um, and they've just really, um, you know, restored that faith in humanity, I think, uh, of just going back to our core values in Zuni of like, like we're gonna empathize, show compassion, help one another. Um, and, and usually we do that with food because um, before COVID, you know, most families are very open um, and inviting and a lot of families have intergenerational families living together. So um, eating meals together is a big deal. Um, having people in your home and providing some meal to them, is just a usual uh, common gesture um, in Zuni homes. And so I think since we can't all be together in that manner with our families, this is one way that we're continuing uh, and contributing um, to our community in that sense. I, I think that, um, yeah, that's definitely, um, that's definitely it. I, there's a couple of other things that I think um, the reason that we work well is because uh, I think we've both reached points in our lives where we know, you know, we don't really care what people think or say if we feel like taking the risk to do something, we do it. And that's something that I recognize in Zoe. She's, you know, just as adventurous as I am. And um, it must be a clan thing, girl. <laughs> I'm not sure. But we, <clears throat> maybe as frogs, we just leap into action. I don't know. But one of the things that I find um, makes it work is that Zoe has established an excellent network. Um, I have the drive. I'm probably the, uh, I don't know what you would call me. I'm the one that pushes us. You know, <laughs> I, I'm like, okay, guys, come on. Let's, let's, we can have fun, but we got lots of work to do. Let's make this efficient. And I have a, a slogan that I live by. And, and I know that uh, we had talked about this before, but like, FOS to GSD, sometimes being a PITA and FU, FU, FU. <laughs> so let me clarify. So focus on solutions. We're both positive. We, we're most, for the most part, you know, um, we've both been through a lot of life experience and um, but both of us try to focus on solutions to GSD to get, you can beep this out to get done. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes you have to do it by being a pain in the ass because some people don't move. So sometimes you have to say, how about now, you know, and call them up. Don't just email, follow up with a phone call, you know, don't just leave it at a phone call. If you don't hear them, hear back from them, you know, get up and go see them, talk to them, ask them, how about now? How about now? How about now? And, um, that's the FU, FU, FU is follow up, follow up, follow up, always follow up. And so um, I think the combination of our um, personalities and our strengths really just made this work. And, you know, the, the, the coolest part about it is that it just kind of comes naturally. It's not like we have to, you know it's not like we, it's so hard to make this work, you know, it just flows. 
and the thing that I've appreciated is that um, there was a part where, you know, we were called back to work. And so that took um, Zoe away back to, you know, online school and me back to our regular jobs. But communication is huge. Text, we probably have thousands of texts between us and the food warriors. <laughs> and um, just having a good attitude. I'm not saying we've been positive through the whole thing um, because both of us have hit walls, exhaustion walls, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical walls that we hit, but we seem to recognize that in each other. And one just stepped up, you know, when I hit my wall, Zoe stepped up and when she was pulled away and she hit her walls, I stepped up, you know, it was just like, we just knew. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to explain it, but that's what makes us work. I just wanted to add something to that. Um, I remember distinctly when Kelly and I first started this. I mean, we didn't really know each other that well, but we just knew that this was something that we really wanted to invest in and, and push forward and GSD. Um, but I just remember Kelly, Kelly distinctly saying like, we're gonna keep doing this until it's either not working or it's affecting our lives in such a way that we have to be willing to just walk away from it for our own preservation, I guess. Um, I don't know if you remember that conversation, but I remember you mentioned that. And this was right at the beginning when things were just starting and I'm like, huh, like, I really appreciated that because not to say that, you know, it would ever be an easy out to like not do this work anymore, but it just gave me that sense that like our self-care and our, our, our health and everything else about us is ultimately the most important thing. Um, and I think, you know, we both just went full force when we first started and and we hit those walls where we really need to just take a step back and have a break um, mm -hmm. because it was like consuming our lives and but I think we both knew that when we needed that break and one of us understood and the other person stepped up or if we both needed a break at the same time our food warriors like came through like strong they just picked mm -hmm. up the slack for us and so um I think just building those relationships and the communication is, is, a, is a big thing. Um, and so I just really appreciate that about Kelly as well. Um, so thank you for letting me share that. Yeah, yeah thank you for the Thanks. wonderful addition too. That's such a good message. But I, I, um, <clears throat> I wanna ask you both what I've been asking everyone who comes onto the show, which is, from your experience, your perspective, how do you think that we should be rethinking the issue of hunger? I think um, in our experience, um, there are several factors. You know, um, the bottom line is people, some people need food and some people lack it and some people aren't able to, to obtain food as readily or as easily as others. Um, what I've learned is 
that we need to partner with all sorts of different organizations, government, non-government organizations, because a lot of it um, is about really addressing the person as a whole, not just their bellies, Mm -hmm. not just their hunger, Mm -hmm. because, um, and I'm huge, like my latest, newest, you know, passion at this point is emotional intelligence. When we don't understand certain things, we make all these assumptions. And how can you improve any family, any organization, any friendship, if you don't improve yourself? And it really comes down to helping people understand themselves as human beings and being able to start shifting the way they think about themselves. Because a lot of times, um, just my own experience, when I was a child, I remember there were times when I would notice that my mom wouldn't eat and she would cook something and she was a single mom and didn't have an income. Um, she worked on jewelry, but that only takes you so far. And, um, uh, she would give all the food that she could gather to me and my brother. And, um, I remember as she, as the years went by and she worked on herself, she started to make certain things priority and not look at herself as a victim, but as a victor. And she started to, you know, feel better about herself and started working. I just, but the impetus was the change that happened within her. I know I'm going all like a hundred miles around what you're asking, but I think that for me, it's building the person um, from the inside out first. And I think that's when people will start to switch is, you know, kind of shift their thinking about food. Um, You know, that's, I wish I could be more articulate about that and be more concise and have a better answer. But I, I, that's where I feel like um, the improvement can happen. I think um, for me, I think Kelly touched on it a little bit um, when she talked about um, collaborating um, and building that capacity. Um, I really feel like you know, we've done that, Kelly and I, without even thinking that we're rethinking hunger. Uh, we've definitely built our capacity of our network. Um, and we've been able to distribute, you know, large quantities of food and um, been able to um, get access and make it available um, to our community. Um, and, and as best we could, Um, you know, providing vegetables and dairy products. Um, And we've had even farmers like bring all of their products to, to us that, you know, their, their crop. Um, I mean, I think (laughs) I wasn't there, but Kelly was, 
Kelly and the food warriors were were making like 300 bags of vegetables. Um, and so I, I think just increasing that capacity and collaborating with everybody, um, especially within our own community is the only way that we can um, really be able to provide and make food available to our community. Um, I think the need has always been there and Kelly and I, you know, she, she talked about being naive about it and, and we, we were, you know, we didn't realize, I mean, we, I, I know we realized that there was a need, but we just didn't realize the need was really great. Even mm -hmm. before COVID people were already struggling. People were already, I mean, I grew up kind of similar to how Kelly was describing, you know, my mom was a silversmith and, and she, you know, she would make miracles out of dinner all the time. And so I, I just know how important that is to, um, to have food um, in your belly and how if you, if you can take care of basic needs of people and people taking care of their own needs as, as well, um, you know, we can only grow, go so far. That is, that's so true. And, you know, I, <laughs> you can ask my kids, they know I do. I just don't like, I, I, I should, let me, let me rephrase this. I don't enjoy cooking and I could never figure out, you know, why I just like, oh my gosh, why do we have to eat? <laughs> And I look at it as a very utilitarian thing. It's, it's a, it's a utility thing. Like our bodies need fuel. So we got to eat something, but then I started really looking at it deeper and I realized that I I'm like that because, um, because of the way we grew up, you know, if you, and I see that in a lot of kids where, they will be like, oh, you know, are, you know, they're hungry and you ask them, would you, you know, here's, here's an orange or here's something, would you like to eat? Oh no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm okay. You know, just by not thinking about it and pushing it out of your mind, people who um, are consistently hungry kind of try to avoid the topic or whatever. And I think that is why one of the reasons why I just didn't like cooking, you know? And so now as an adult, I try to push myself to enjoy. And because what I've done is started looking at food differently. I started looking at food with gratitude instead of in a utility way, like, oh, we have to fix something for our bodies, you know? Um, but I now look at a loaf of bread and, and I really like this oat nut bread. Right. And I was looking at that and, and I started thinking of everything that went into it to make that bread. And it really comes down to farming and having that connection with the earth, you know? And so it's no longer this utility need, <laughs> but I can start to look at things differently and, and have gratitude for it. And for those who processed it and for those who grew it, you know, and um, our people are historically farmers 
And I find it ironic that we focus more on the drought than we do focus on, hey, we were farmers, that's in us, we'll figure it out. And I think that <laughs> if given the chance, um, I think that's what me and Zoe would do. I mean, I don't know where this is gonna go after this, but I think we'd probably be like, hey, come teach us how to do it. Or here, we'll learn and then we'll, we'll help you to grow your own food. So anyhow, just gratitude. <laughs> it changes everything. From the New Mexico Out of School Time Network, this has been Rethinking Hunger. The music for this podcast was made by Adam DeGraff. You can follow him on his website at adamviolin.com. If you liked the episode and want to subscribe to our podcast, or if you want to learn more about the issue of food insecurity, visit our website at nmost.org. That's n-m-o-s-t dot org. Thanks for listening.